little ones, uh, the teachers. God, please mightily work, bless them, help them. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Psalm 52. Um, as Artie was asked of me if I plan on discussing these in detail today, no. Um, I guess I should, I, it would have helped to put intro, um, or even part one. Um, I will not be going through these in depth. Um, you did not need to bring your sleeping bag, lunch, uh, dinner. Uh, that would be quite, quite, you did bring it. Oh, okay, well, good for you. That would be good. Um, but I, I just today want to do a um, kind of a, a background and then um, just go over them and not even uh, ringing out of the scripture for each um, 10 points, in a sense, 5 and 5. Um, just give you one verse, one of the main verses that I found that are used for each of the points. Um, so... As I mentioned last time, um, I wanted to get into soteriology, the study of salvation. Um, the study of salvation is kind of key. Um, I would say is key for us as Christians to understand it and knowing it um, and also explaining it to, to the uh, lost world that we live in. Um, some would say, well, why, why would you need to do this? It's, it's just a gospel. Well, because the, the study of this is... Um, understanding it will help you, and we'll, we'll see that, how this will help you in every other aspect of your Christian walk. Um, this being that the foundation, the base that you um, are going to state that why you believe um, you have a home in heaven, why you believe um, others can have a home in heaven, and um, and so these things are, are very key, and um, as I've mentioned in the past, you know, you should be able to state why you are here or there um, because of your own study. And, um, you know, we've, we've had, um, as I mentioned, some visitors that came and even talked about this, that, you know, that this was something they never really had rung out before. Um, they never thought about that. And we talked about these things because they hadn't themselves searched these things out um, and just kind of were able to give the typical quick verse, but not be able to discuss it. But also, I wanted to um, be fair and understand that even as we go over these, the five points of Cal- Arminianism, the five points of Calvinism, I understand that um, you, as even myself, um, would never state that I follow the teachings of either of these men completely. Um, because these, both of these men had some other very much um, deeper views, some specific things would be infant baptism, um, church-state relationship, church officers, government themselves. Um, so some other views. But for, the, for whatever reason, um, well, I, the main reason is because both of them have kind of helped birth the, the thought and talk of this. You know, Calvinism is, um, you have the Calvin's Institutes, um, which most if any, uh, seminaries would tell anyone to, to go into that um, because the, what he's done in the study, there hasn't been, I believe, a man um, through history that has taken the time as he did to really not only study the scriptures, but to pen it out and write it out for you. I mean, the, the books are amazing. Um, and, and even the way he um, thinks it out on, on paper um, helps you and, and you're thinking it out and walking through. Um, 
But even as I've been, you know, some would say that, you know, like, well, you're, you're, a, you're a Calvinistic or um, some would say that, you know, you're a five-point Calvinist. And I, I, when I brought up the five points for Arminianism, most, I would say, if not everyone I've talked to so far, had no idea there was such a thing. And that's why I really wanted to show you that this, this is something that, um, as I was talking to someone else yesterday about it, it was just like, really? Like, this is, and, and again, something that is very interesting to me as I studied this. Um, even the five points of Arminianism was written after Arminian died. The five points of Calvinism was written after Arminian died. Arminian, Arminius, I'm sorry, his name was Jacob Arminius. Jacob Arminius was four years old when Calvin died. So the five points of Calvinism is written very long after. Calvin's been in the grave for quite a while. And, it's, and just so you know, the five points of Calvinism was penned in um, reaction, or you could say, or um, to rebuttal, or to, to force the discussion of the five points of Arminianism. So the first ones that came out was the five points of Arminianism. For the longest time, it was, yes, there was the teaching of Calvinism. Um, and some would even say that, you know, Augustine had the teachings of Calvinism. Well, that was, you know, Augustine was around 300. Calvin's around in the 1500s and 1600s. So it's, that doesn't, <laughs> you know, much, much longer. Um, how, how, how to, to try and, and I want to be fair, I'm trying to make sure you understand that. To, 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 to simplify it as much as I can, Arminianism is more of a, a man-centered idea of, of uh, salvation, and Calvinism is, is more of a God-centered. Now, is there hypers of both? Yes, always. There always is. The hyper of Arminianism is not for, to, uh, which I find funny, not to poke at Arminius. It isn't hyper-Arminianism. It's called universalism, um, unitarian, like universalist idea is that everyone is going to become saved. That everyone, because of Christ's shedding of the blood for everyone, therefore everyone will get saved. And the hyper-Calvinist would say that, well, because it's all up to God, I don't need to do anything. I just go to church, sing my songs. Um, there's even a hymn I read that, you know, there's, we don't want it to be too crammed in heaven. <laughs> so we're glad that so few of you will be coming. Like, I was, some of the hymns I read, I was like, <laughs> you guys are rough. Um, the hyper-Calvinists. But they're always a small group, um, such as there is the universalist idea. Um, it's a small group. Um, and so... To give you just, if, if those who take down notes and love to have this, um, I'll give you just, just throw out some dates and things at you. Um, the Five Points of Arminius was written in 1610. Um, this was a year after Jacob Arminius died. So he has a, um, Jacob Arminius was um, a young man that was taught after Calvin died and, and passed the baton. This young man is four years old, and so he goes into the, te- the teachings there. And is trained up, and, and what they would do to help these young men try to understand these things was that they would debate these things. So try and wrestle these things through. So in his studies, he comes to find rather than debating himself to understanding the teachings of Calvinism, he debates himself out of the teachings of Calvinism and its birth, Jacob Arminius, um, Arminianism. Um, so those who hold to this, this teaching 
wouldn't, don't typically call themselves Arminians, but instead they would call themselves um, free will um, or free will Baptists um, because that's kind of how it, it kind of broke away from Arminian um, in that way. And the five points of Calvinism was not put together till after reviewing these five points Arminius, and that was done in the city of Dort, D-O-R-T, um, in 1618 and 1619. And what's interesting is that, so here these guys, these, these followers of Arminius, bring up these teachings and say, I, I, this is what Arminius taught us, this is what we feel to be true. And what I love is, especially back in the day, was that they would never just say, no way, this is what it is. They would, they would really ring it out. There was 154 meetings over seven months to discuss these things. And in return, it's called the Canons of Dort. I strongly encourage you to take time and read that. You can look it up, uh, Canons of Dort. It's estimated a 50-minute read. It took me an hour and a half. I'm a slow reader. Um, phenomenal. Great. Um, because they just they, they really try to, um, they would take the points, and then they, they write a rebuttal, and then also explain why they think so. So they came out with these 59 articles and 34 additional paragraphs in discussing this after these 154 meetings to, to discuss these things. <clears throat> they shrunk those things down to the five points of Calvinism that we find today, and then ironically rearrange it to come up with the acronym, which is what? Do how many guys, anybody here know what the acronym is for Calvinism? DULIP, right? It's just funny. And, and I love because it's, Studying this and listening to this, so many guys don't like some of the terms for a tulip, but no one's changed it because it, it would ruin the acronym. So when they teach it, they tell you, this is, I don't like this word, but I like this, but um, I just find it funny that that's what it came to was tulip. And so that's what it became. Is, so after Arminius, um, the, the followers of Arminius, bring forward these things, so he's debating. Um, the, the biggest area that caught on to this was the Netherlands. Netherlands, Arminianism just just flooded the area, um, big time. And so then this discussion comes through in the, um, at the Dutch Reformed Church in the city of Dort, 1618 to 1619, seven months, 154 meetings, they come out with these things. So as my, I said, my, my plan today was just to go over these five points um, in, in as quickly as um, because I want to discuss each one and, and, and bring these things out together. Discuss them, look at them in Scripture. And I want to be very honest with you. Um, my plan is to do this, and I, I'll give you an example. Is in high school uh, for health class. For whatever reason, we had to write uh, final papers. And the teacher picked the topic for each person. And um, just because I had a, you know, obnoxious mouth in high school. I know that's hard to believe. Um, my teacher gave me the, the topic of abortion. The paper had to be written, though, so that you could not tell which side you went. You had to show both sides. So I know he did it on purpose. Um, I aced it, um, and we had a great discussion after I got handed in because he just could not believe, even with going through that, that I could go one way or the other, or go towards that no way I could ever consider. And I just told him, I said, it doesn't matter about feelings. You have to remove them. There is an almighty God that's in charge of these things. And he says, no, you can't murder, no matter what. Um, so I, my plan is, for going through this, is I'm going to do my best 
to go through all of these 10 points with you, um, trying not to emphasize one side or the other, but just really allow the Word of God go through it and show you which scriptures that both sides use. And I, I'm praying hard for you. I'm praying hard for all of us to understand these things and see them in Scripture and be able to just say, this is it, because this is what the Word of God says. Um, the hardest thing, I think, is going to be for each of us, as it was has been for me, is seeing as some of these passages that are, are used by each um, group are not taken in the sense of the English Bible you have in front of you. And I pray that this doesn't frustrate you too much because we need to remember is the Bible was not literally written to us, but written for us, especially in the New Testament letters. They're written to a specific group of people for a specific group of time for for specific reasons. If you don't know those things, you will end up with having some weird teachings. I'm going to such extremes for some things because you don't understand the times and the place it was written. So it does force us. Yes, we can't, we as, especially as Americans, want to pick up the Bible, pick up our verse, grab our verse, throw it on a flag and run down the street and say, hey, you know, whatever the Lord asks, uh, whatever I ask, the Lord says he'll give me. There we go. I got my verse. If I only had a million dollars, right? You know, singing my song. Like it's, um, you got to engage the brain he gave you. Um, and you also, also got to study these things, read these things. Um, and also, the key is reading them in the context of Genesis to Revelation. Um, that's where I've, I've gone through just about seven hours of uh, debate on this so far. And, and it's been very interesting, especially listening to um, two very studious, big-worded guys go through some of these things that I'm having to pause and look up the words that Jada said because I don't know what they're talking about. And they assure me it's still English. Um, but these $50, $100 words they come up with. Um, and But the biggest thing is is seeing this written out in such a way, but finding out that translationally there's other ways it can be translated that, that does really challenge you. So where you would say that, oh my goodness, this changes the whole meaning to this passage. Well, it may... In, in that sense, but there's also what we have is not just this passage, right? We have the entire Bible to understand these things, and God's given us the entire Bible. And I, I've always told you, like Steve Lawson, I love, says, you, you pull on a string of Revelation, it makes a wrinkle in, in, in uh, I'm sorry, you pull a string in Genesis, it makes a wrinkle in Revelation, okay? It's, it's so connected. So we need to be um, a Christian of the entire Bible, we can't accept this, especially new teaching here in America very much, is, is just in New Testament church. Okay? We, we need to be Christians of the entire Bible so that we can understand and, and not be um, apologetic as some would just get so frustrated that they, they want to be disconnected from the Old Testament because of how God, quote, acted and reacted. Um, you shouldn't feel obligated to apologize for your God. Because if you put it in light of what was going on, you know, like, I've, I've, that's the one I've, I've bumped into in construction. Like, well, you know, how could I worship a guy that killed these people? And I'm like, really? So if you found out that this neighboring village was slaughtering children and burning them to death to make sure the sun rose, you'd be like, oh, well, that's their own right. They should be allowed to do it. He's like, oh, my goodness. No, it's sick. I'm like, huh. Because that's what they did. And some even worse than that. So... You know, you, you, when you don't 
take the time to study the context and what was going on and what these people were doing, you can make foolish comments like that. Um, so, um, that's my plan. Um, and I try to pick a passage because I want to read a passage together with each time. So, for this time, because we're reviewing all of it, um, I pick Psalm 52. So, those who can stand, please stand with me. And I won't be specifically re- returning back to this passage. We'll be jumping all over the place for verses. But, Psalm 52, I like this as an intro for our study. And this is to the choir master and maskeel of David, when Doag and Edomite come and told Saul, David has come to the house of Amalek. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right, Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. The righteous shall see and fear, and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not uh, make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a tree, a green, I'm sorry, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful hand upon us. God, I thank you for this, this time and I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, please guide us, teach us what we know not, let me speak what you want spoken. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So, um, starting out, I will just, I, the way I plan to do it is just to walk through the, the first five points of Arminianism, and then we will go to the five points of Calvinism. Um, if, if any of you, I mentioned the Kansas door, if, if you can't find it or um, would like a spot, just, just talk to me afterwards. I, I, I have a couple spots. Um, but if any of you have the Reformation Study Bible, Dan wonderfully reminded me as I printed one out and did all this, that I have it already in my Bible. So uh, if you have a Reformation Study Bible, it's in the back of that. So first point for Arminianism was God's elects or does not elect on the basis of a foreseen faith or unbelief. God elects or does not elect on the basis of foreseen faith or unbelief. So the idea here first is that is that don't believe, um, Arminianism does not believe that God specifically elects a people um, on his choice, but he does it based on foreseen, so meaning that God has looked ahead of time and seen what this um, said person will do uh, in faith or believe, therefore they are um, part of the elect. So um, t- most Arminians would never uh, get, run away from the term elect, they they most of them that I've met are, are careful around it because of what it will lead down towards more of a, a discussion of Calvinism. But um, they would say that they, they do believe in the elect of God, just that the elect people are elected by God, um, not based on themselves, on, on God, but based on them and what they have uh, done. And the, the, the main passage that they would pick to you is Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined. So the idea is that he foreknew them, so then he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many believers. So this is where they, as you can hear that terminology in their first point, right? Foreknew, he foresaw, therefore they are predestined to be this way. That's their main first point. Okay? Secondly, is that Christ died for every man although only believers are saved. So Christ died for every man, although only believers are saved. So this is, this is the one that gets, um, is, uh, I've heard many say that they're uh, three and a half point Calvinists or four point Calvinists um, because of this, this one. This is the one um, that they have the hardest time with. And that is that Christ's blood, is what they're talking about here, was shed for every person on the earth. But... It's only accounted or only placed upon those who are believers, those who are saved. Okay? Um, one of the main texts I use is, is 1 John 2 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay? So that would be the, uh, one of the, the main texts. There's, there's others, but I, I just, um, as I mentioned, I just grabbed one. So. The main thing here is that because Calvinism, we'll talk about that in a bit, but teaches differently. So they really want to press with Arminianism, as I said, with a man-centered thought, is that if Jesus' blood has to be over the whole world, it has to cover everybody, because then if I go and witness to somebody and the blood is not on their account, then I'm, in a sense, wasting my time or also it wouldn't, it would be like falsely inviting them to come to Christ is the common thing I heard, right? So if you knew uh, that a person could not do such a thing and there was no chance of them coming to salvation, then why would you witness to them, right? So that's why they feel, uh, Arminians feel that, it, that the blood must cover everybody because otherwise, um, why would you witness? Why would you go out and tell people, um, and the most common line is that God never asks a person to do something they can't do. So this, this wouldn't make sense. Thirdly, man is not so corrupted by sin that he cannot savingly believe the gospel when it is put before him. So man is not so corrupted by sin that he cannot savingly believe the gospel when it is put before him. So here's the teaching, right, that, that man is, this is where the free will one, really big one is, is that man is not so corrupted in the sense that because of the fall, right? So man is born in sin, man is a sinner. They would say that he can't be so corrupted that he can't choose God. And main text recently heard was John three sixteen seventeen. 17. That's why I want to just use this one and most commonly known. For God has loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. So this is, this is where they would press you and say that, right? Um, that man has to have the ability, and so that's where they would say that the, the reason man hasn't is because they don't want to. So man is not so corrupted um, in, in their sin, being born in sin, that man is not so corrupted in, in their wickedness that they cannot choose and, and make the, the right choice to follow and believe the gospel. Fourthly, God's saving grace may be resisted. God's saving grace may be resisted. 
So again, this is that God's grace would come around somebody um, in a sense that his presence of his grace would be around them, that the person themselves can resist this. And, and a key text they would use is Hebrews 3.15. As it is said, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Um, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. So they would say that this is a verse talking about that, that God's grace can come upon a person, but they can resist it. Say, I don't want it. I don't want God's grace. I don't want nothing to do with it. And that, so because of that, they can deny the saving grace of God, which does go together with, with uh, the third point. And if you go to the Canons of Dort, three and four are kind of connected together um, in their studies because to them they, that's, it is very much connected. Um, but the five points of Calvinism was written to try and make it so that it was the same as the five points of Arminianism so they can kind of go together when you're discussing these. Lastly, and this is the one that I, I know um, most Arminians that I know of, most free will Baptists, would not hold to this. Would not hold to this. Um, even though they, they very much follow most of the teachings of Arminius, they would not hold to the fifth point. And that is, those who are in Christ may or may not fall finally away. Those who are in Christ may or may not fall finally away. And it is interesting even because if you read up on Jacob Arminius, this is the one that he just kind of wrestled with. And he was very honest with that. You know, t- 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 the short form is that you could lose your salvation. So you can come to Christ, and, and the text that is used is Galatians 5.4. You were severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You are severed from Christ. You who... Uh, would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So, th- th- when you think about it, um, the fifth point, in a sense, w- only does make sense if you do follow the other, um, especially three and four. If, if you can free will, in a sense, come to Christ, then how could you, why can't you step away from Christ, Right? And that's where the, typically they would respond that, well, you can't because God keeps you. But then if he keeps you, as the, of a Calvinist would say, if he's keeping you and you want to leave, then that would be coming against your will. Kay's got me. She's right up here. She knows. Right? So that's where it gets, you know, when you wrestle these things out. So you've got to think them through. All right? So we flip over to the, the five points of Calvinism. Okay? And... This, I, I, done, I did it, when they did it, they didn't do it uh, in order uh, of the tulip. I will just do it that way, just because it's, most of you, I, I would think that's how you kind of know it. Um, and then when we go through these point by point together um, and ring them out, I am going to show you, especially myself too, as many of the teachers, I don't like the tulip acronym um, because um, it doesn't rightly show. Uh, it, as I said, this was written and, and put together by, a lot of it was put together by those who don't believe it and agree with it. Um, so um, I want to make sure that we show it properly. So first one is total depravity. So this was um, farther down with Arminianism, but total depravity. So the idea with total depravity is that man is so um, broken in their sin, man has uh, found himself as so corrupted in their sin, that because of their corruption and sin, they themselves cannot make the right decision. They cannot follow Christ. They will not follow Christ. They won't. Main text, um, 
is, is from the chapter Romans 3. They use a large portion of this, but I, I'm trying to, in a sense, be fair and not do too many verses, but just um, it's Romans three ten through 12. It says, as is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And that is a quote from the Psalter, the Psalms. And then you go a little bit farther down, the verse that most of us would know, right? In the Romans Road, Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So because all have sinned, they are all short, fall short of the glory of God. That's why they would say that man is totally depraved. They cannot make the right decision. Um, so the, the rebuttal of that, or the, the, the teaching of that, would say that that's why we, we ask God to do a work in the person because they can't do it themselves. They need God to help them. They are so depraved in their, in their sin, um, what they've been born into, that God needs to help them along with this. Otherwise, they will not make the right choice. Okay? Secondly, is tulip, you, is unconditional election. Unconditional election. Um, that is that um, there is no conditions, right? Unconditioned. There is no conditions upon man. God did not look ahead. Um, God, he, he chose. Um, some would say it's a, a specific or a, um, a, a, a election in the sense that he, he didn't. Because if their issue is that they would say that if, if he looked ahead and based upon the person, then God is not sovereign. Right? That's, that would be their quick rebuttal. Say, well, then you don't, you don't hold to And that's where Arminians would say, we do believe in a sovereign God, but not an absolutely sovereign God when it comes to this point of salvation. So, unconditional election is Ephesians 1, 11 to 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that he who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So here is in him we've obtained this, and it's the purpose of him who does this according to his will, the counsel of his will, so that we might be the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So all about God, right? He receives glory, all about him, and that's why it's done this way in the sense of an unconditional election. Um, Thirdly, is what's called limited atonement. Limited atonement, L-T-U-L. And this is the one that they would, uh, a lot of them would use specific atonement rather than limited because they don't like the word limited because in our English, when it's written um, back then, it was more understood that it was that it was a specific atonement in the sense that Jesus died for a specific people. Limited, they don't like because it almost implies that his blood is not enough to cover. So his, they would tell you, uh, Calvinists would say that in limited atonement, it's limited to those people who are his elect, but it is enough to save the entire world if they were the elect. Okay? Um, so Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to limited atonement, 
it's, it's tough, um, as I mentioned in debates, that, to find that one specific verse. Um, but this, I, I, I see where they're pushing here and t- showing you that because this is, we were elected in Christ, chose us in him, and then it's through him that we're, there's this provision of salvation, of the atonement, is through. So if, if this is what you're holding to in the sense of it's through Christ's blood, through his blood that the atonement is done, then if, if his blood was shed for everyone, then how could you deny them heaven? Right? So that would be the, the rebuttal against Arminian. If, if his blood was for everybody, then they would say, well, it's only to those who believe. That's not how it works when it comes to sacrifices, typically, right? You sacrificed the animal for the people, their blood, that blood for that animal was to cover the people. It wasn't that, well, only for those who are participating in their minds of what's going on up front. Um, it would be, this blood was shed for these people, it covers them, it covers their sins. Um, we understand that the sacrifice system of the Old Testament was not enough um, for, for the sins. That's why Christ had to come. But it was a picture of what was to come, but it was also very needed for them to see that this, this was how it was to be done. It was through the shedding of blood. Blood needed to be shed. So limited atonement is going to be a very good wrestling one, um, as a lot of it, which Matt will be thrilled, is a lot of it is going to come after the teaching of Hebrews. Matt's been pressing me to go through the book of Hebrews. He's been pressing me through all the hard books. Um, and uh, uh, so we're going to have to spend a lot of time in Hebrews that day in understanding that. Because Hebrews, um, when it comes to this um, understanding atonement, is the picture of the Old Testament. It's the, the one book that has the most quotes from the Old Testament. Like, it's just, you're just, you could just sit there and with your Old Testament flipping back, flipping back, flipping back. It just constantly is bringing these things out and helping you. That's why, I mean, the tough part about Hebrews is the one book we don't know who is the author. Um, that is a very fun um, thing to read, um, as many think it's Paul, and it was his kind of his letter to the, his Jewish followers. That's why he did it that way. But Paul has never been shy, ever has he, to say that I am the author and this is what you need to do. So it is a tough one um, to wonder who is uh, the author of Hebrews, but it is collectively known and understood to be part of the canon, in a sense it's part of our Bible. Um, so, fourthly, irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. So they would say that um, in Arminianism, saving grace can be resisted. They would say no. Once the grace of God, a Calvinist would say, once the grace of God comes, you are going to follow it. John six thirty seven says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So they're saying that if these are the ones that the Father's given them, um, the, once the grace of God comes around them, they will come, and, and Christ will take every single one. Um, because of God's grace that's worked in them, they come to him, and whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. So this is the grace is never resisted um, once it's come around them. There is a bunch of other verses, but I'm just trying to keep our time here with that. Um, so... That is, that is a tough one, right? So as grace is, God's grace comes around them, um, we have to be careful not to mix up grace and mercy. Um, for me, which will be fun as we discuss this, is I didn't understand so much, just my own upbringing and teaching at um, college, is mercy to me has always been a, um, a, in a sense of a feeling, like you're, you're kind to somebody, you're showing mercy. 
But oftentimes in the Bible, when it talks about mercy, it's actually a verb, it's an action. Um, it's actually vis- physically doing something. Um, so that's where if you understand the text, again, like I'm saying back in there, and it's that sometimes when God does things, he mercies them. Um, so it's, it's an action upon them that he's done. Um, you, when God does a work, he does a work. So that's why what they would say with grace, and, um, and when his grace comes upon them, they will not deny his grace. Um, just as when we get into that, when it comes to an election point of mercy. Fifth point, lastly, the perseverance of the saints, which I think a lot of you have heard that. Um, it's it's a, a pretty common line. It's also the one that um, a lot of Arminians, like I said, they would agree with this one, very much so. That First Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So because God's done this work in you, and he will keep you blameless uh, until the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, and even as the last verse I, I used when talking about irresistible grace, is that I will never cast them out. So Jesus himself, once he, their father's given them, they are his. He never gets rid of them. So um, I know it's like, especially in, in, when it comes to perseverance to saints, that so many people, their, their biggest question is, can, can I be the reason that I lose my salvation? And with the understanding of perseverance of the saints, there's nothing, nothing you, nothing outside of you, nothing the devil, nothing, uh, no powers, no height. There's nothing that can come against you and separate you from the love of God. Um, so this is where, um, when, when, as I, you know, I said, I listen to debates, this is one area that they don't really too typically fight about um, because that last teaching of Arminius um, isn't held by many um, Arminians. Now, the, 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 as I mentioned, the thinking out of these things is important in working these things out. You say, well, then can't, as I already mentioned, that some people are, you know, three points here and four points there, and can't you pick and choose? And yeah, I, I guess you, in a sense you can, because I, as Paul would say, I'm not a follower of, you shouldn't be a follower of Paul. You shouldn't be a follower of Paulus. You should be a follower of Christ. But you also need to decide in, the, in, in reading these things and studying the scriptures, is who is most closely connected with the scriptures. Um, but I understand as when you, um, when there is a man um, teaching and studying and, and guiding you through the word of God, you're going to have things you're going to disagree with them. It's just, it's just reality. Um, you know, I have many guys that I, I love to listen to and um, glean from them. But I disagree with them on, especially my Presbyterian brothers, I, my Reformed Presbyterian brothers, you know, they still baptize the babies. I, I don't, I've listened to many debates, discussions on that. I, I just don't see it. Um, I have a much better respect for it because I've only listened to the one side of it my whole life. Was especially growing up in a lot of fundamental Baptist churches. As I told Alistair when I met him, um, as he joked about, oh, you're from the Northeast, that's where the fundamentals are. And I said, well, listen, we're fun. We are a little mental at times, but we are fun. Um, so it's, we do get a little too extreme. Um, and we do typically, when it comes to the fundamentals, end up in the other ditch very quickly. Um, especially when it, at times, a lot of them, it's, it's a tire, um, your clothing. Um, they get very strict, and they want to put up guardrails um, to try and make sure you stay in that area. Um, rather than just 
saying, let's, let's make sure we understand these things based upon the word of God. Um, I, I, I should not be fearful to bring to you anything that could be uh, different in the scriptures, um, for, that somebody else would bring out differently in the scriptures, when I can, should be able to plainly show you in the scriptures that they're wrong. Um, so that's why in this, I'm praying that as we go through these things, but you could see that when it comes to this, right, why I would state that one seems more of a, a man-centered, and it's not that it's a, a man works, like man earns salvation, but they would just want to uh, emphasize when it comes to Arminianism that man has that ability, right? Where Calvinism is, is very much opposite in saying that God is so sovereign, God is so working that that. Man doesn't have that ability, so God must do the work in them. And then, ironically, is right. I kind of chuckle is when I, especially when I talk to more of my uh, more Arminian uh, types, is that they'll say that well, um, they'll emphasize the free will. But then when I ask them, how do you pray then? Right. So I was listening to a guy who is a very stout Calvinist, and when he grew up, he grew up in the Methodist Church, and he asked this as a young man, asked a Sunday school teacher. Why do we pray for so-and-so to get saved? I said, well, why wouldn't we? Well, based upon the understanding here in the Methodist Church is that they have a free will choice. Isn't that kind of backdooring them? Is asking God to do something to them? Like, that's, that's like praying against their will. So the Sunday school teacher made a rule. From now on, you're not allowed to ask for prayer requests for anyone to get saved anymore. Because he said, young man, you're correct. So we're not doing it anymore. No more praying for salvation for anyone's souls at all in here. That was the rule. Which we kind of like, that is a little extreme, but when you think things out, when you, you really have to think these things out and understand these things. Like he didn't want to just discuss it with the young man. Like, well, that's fine. That, you got a point. There we go. We're going to move on. But that's where you got to think these things out. And that's where, especially when it comes to Calvinism in that sense of depravity and the election and the limited atonement. I mean, I know the limited atonement one is, is really hard for some, um, but his grace and his perseverance, some of these things are, are a little easier for us because we, we cling to that, but we also understand it. it's to us very plainly written in Scripture. Like if, if God's given them to him, he says, I will not lose what? One, right? I'm not going to lose one. Um, but um, I will show you as um, we study the, um, the idea that, that men can fall away, there is some really tough Scriptures in there. Um, so when we study that last point, um, I'm going to be doing them together and showing you that um, it, it, there is some scriptures to wrestle through and try to understand. Um, but typically, when you come to these, um, these, you need to make sure that we look at the scriptures in its, in its context. And that means we'll have to look at them in the chapter. That's why Bob was very nervous about me doing this today. Uh, we'll have to look at it in the chapter and the book and sometimes even the Bible um, to make sure we understand these things correctly. So we, some of these points we may spend one Sunday, some two Sundays. In my conclusion, I don't even know when I started, so I don't see a timer here. But um, I want to give us some takeaways in the understanding of my desire in all of this. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three says, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, May the Lord, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the Lord God, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that needs to be the greatest desire of all of us. Even as I, I've, I've loved listening to some of these debates, especially um, these two fellows that just have a, 
a love for each other, even though they strongly disagree in this area. And that needs to be that way. Um, we, 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 even if uh, it comes to, as we get done with the study, that even us as a church, will, I'm very confident we're going to have differences of opinions on these things. But the greatest desire needs to be that, is that we would um, glorify the Lord in our discussions of these things. As I've mentioned before, is I believe that the greatest conflict, uh, the greatest reason we have so much, such a lack of, of the study of God in this world is because we don't study these things together. We, don't, we, don't, we come together and we talk about the game. We talk about this thing and that thing. We're not wringing out these things and studying these things so much that it's on the tips of our lips. We're not de- desiring to know these things. As I said, if you look at even the Puritans as some would just say, like, I, I would never want to be like that, that serious. Well, you're not even touching a small percentage of the time that they spent in the Word of God. So you, you, what are you basing upon your study and your understanding of scriptures? What is it based upon? Is it because you've spent much time? Like I mentioned, I believe, last week, an average, the average pastor in America spends 20 to 30 minutes in the scriptures a day. And, and a lot of it is because of the church itself has got them so stinking busy that they have no time. They can barely keep their head above water and do these things. Um, because they're busy doing so many other things. I love, as Paul Washer said, if, if he could change one thing in America, in the American church, is that he would make a deacon a full-time paid position. Because too often the pastor's doing the deacon's jobs. And he says, it's just, they should be, I mean, I know Washer is, is for some, is just a little extreme, but like Paul Washer, he, he wants to see, he wants his pastor spending so much time on the mount with his God that he's coming down with a shining face and saying, I'm not covering it. Hang on, church. Let me show you about the time I just had with God. You know, we sh- too often the church is, is just like the Israel church, uh, Israel's, and just saying, cover your face. You're too extreme for us. And it's because of the, such little time is spent with God. So little time is, is in love with his scriptures, his word. Um, we need our children to love the word. We need our, our families to love the word because it's so regularly talked about and, and studied so that we can really understand our God. And I think that as we study through these two things, we'll see that both of them have a very um, very different view of God himself too. And that, that's going to be the, the part that we see is that is when one, as, as Arminianism, as I said, has a a view of God that is very sovereign, but also that he's not completely sovereign over so many things. And then where the view of Calvinism says that God is so sovereign that he, he doesn't ask, you know, he doesn't, you know, can I come in kind of thing. It, it's, he is sovereign over all of it. And it's also interesting as you look through history, the church history, when you look at, when you look at men that you likely talk about and quote, where they stood when it came to these things, when, it, when the governments came against them. Right? When you look across America, how the churches reacted when, when the government said to do, if you look at when it comes to their, their belief here and it comes to their view of God, it was, it's very similar to those who react, how they reacted to the government based upon these things. So this will, it does have, as some would say, it's not a big thing, it, is, it does have an overarching effect on how you do your entire life, how you do your family life, how you do your church life, how you do all of it. But, as I stated in the beginning, which I'll remind you again, um, we're, not, we're doing baby dedications in two weeks, not baby baptisms, okay? So um, we, we're, 
or stout there. And I'll even talk about some of that as we get along too, as, as uh, uh, immersion and how that started. It is, is amazing. Um, I'll, I'll be, um, it was sad. The church came against the people who emphasize immersion need to be there so hard that uh, one of the first teachers, I believe it was some of the beginning teachers, they, the church would, they drowned the people for following immersion. Um, uh, the early church did some crazy stuff against each other because they just felt it was such a heresy. Um, so um, there'll be no of that um, here, but we'll just be ringing these things out, studying these things out, um, so that we can be, as Paul says to Timothy, rightly able to handle the word of God. Show yourself approved. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you so much um, for this, and, and very different for myself um, in, in discussing it this way, um, here on a Sunday morning. So I, I just pray, Lord, as we, from here, we'll be able to spend some time really uh, studying um, these things and studying it with open Bibles before us, Lord. I pray um, that your spirit would guide us, Lord. Uh, help us, um, show us your truth. Um, and, and Lord, most of all, Lord, as we go through these things, as, as uncomfortable as some of these, these topics will be, especially as we hear uh, many that we follow and listen to and learn from that have different, very different views on some of these areas. Um, God, that we would still glean from these men um, and, and learn, but also be, be serious about our own study. Uh, be very serious about not just trying to, to glean off men, but to make sure we're gleaning off the, our own personal study of your word. Um, Father, you have given us the spirit, and, and you've made sure that men and women gave their lives, Lord, gave their lives so that we could make sure we had a Bible before us, God. Um, we thank you so much, Lord, for, for the lives that you allowed to be taken so that I could so freely, so freely, Lord, this day in this nation stand here with an open Bible, preaching, praying with these people, Lord. Lord, I do, I, I want to remember as your Bible, as your word tells us, remember our brothers and sisters that, that are hiding today and fear, uh, but... More and more I read about them, they're not in fear of man. Uh, they, they just have such a fear of you, that's why they still meet. Uh, they don't care what the, the government say. They, they know they need to gather. They need to encourage. They need to help each other. Lord, I pray that you would work wonderfully with them, Lord. Uh, so many of our dear brothers and sisters in this world don't have these freedoms, don't have this time to be able to just spend reading and studying and doing these things. They, they have to wring it out and figure it out quickly. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time and, Lord, that we would be wise with our time. God, you've given us so much time. We, we are truly uh, as fast-paced as we are and as busy as we are. Lord, I pray you help us um, to do what we're supposed to do. Um, not so much do what we want to do, but, Lord, help us to do what we're supposed to do. Uh, guide us, uh, strengthen us, grant us a greater love and thirst for your word. Um, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.